You know, I think everybody, everybody is a teaching artist, whether they realize it or not. You know, sometimes it takes like being pushed to talk about things you might not otherwise talk about. But I think all artists should strive for some social practice, whether it be a teaching artist, you know, Skillshare, whether it be just willing to articulate your process like George Clinton did for Red Bull Music Academy. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that enough, especially with someone that big, you know, is a is a uh, is a good social practice to have because people will eat it. People eat it up if we love your work. Once you've done the best you can in any situation, ain't nothing else you can do. So you got to be able to say funk it without guilt, without anything. I've done the best I can, so now let's get down. And that's the way you apply the music. Like you look at old blues players, they walk in, what key is this in? Look up, monkey. It don't matter, just feel it, get on in and join. You know what I'm saying? And once you do that and let go, you ain't got to, you just do the best you can. Usually end up in a pocket, in a groove. Without what keys and what arrangement. No, it ain't that deep. Let's just get down. I can't be on the record saying anything. What's that sound? Hey. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? The proposition sounds intriguing. Proposition sounds very attractive. I tell you, it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Seems a sound proposition. What brought you here? just say my name uh hey my name is max alper uh i am a professor of sound and music technology in puerto rico uh i founded a little nonprofit in 2015 called sonic arts for all teaching young kids and special needs folks the ins and outs of music tech uh, and I'm a musician and composer. I make music under my own name and under the name, the, the moniker Peretsky. That's me. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> I also make, I also, uh, I also make dank memes and talk about uh, and make, you know, have critical conversations related to music culture and music education under my Instagram, uh, Lameem Young which is now also a uh, full-fledged virtual classroom on Patreon. <laughs> I don't want, how did I forget that shit? <laughs> you can edit it, go for it.
I just think that I just think that we're dealing with it's just become the the newest medium. Like just text, text, image, and potentially sound uh, in combination uh, is just a streamlined media combo at this point. And you know, obviously, memes predate meme culture. Pre is is you know, if we're going on the Dawkins terminology, is just an idea that gets it's viral idea. That's all that it is, right? So like. But it has to be streamlined, right? It has to be approachable enough that you can get it without having to think about it immediately. And if there's more to the meaning after that initial humor, then by all means, open that door, right? And I think that for me as a, uh, as like a, you gotta give them one sentence or you gotta give them one image and a sentence of an idea to, to convey an idea, um, oftentimes the best way for it to be to really make an impact is to attach some humor to it you know and i think that even if it's just the first page of a slideshow that is otherwise a boring talk on you know like african polyrhythms in relation to you know colonialism in the americas you know what i mean like that is where that hey idiot you love african music and you don't realize it you know that's where that meme was for was the first page of that talk, you know, of that day of class. And uh, <laughs> it got a laugh out of everybody. And then it began the discussion before we even uh, started talking about the history. Because then some kid literally in the class is all like, what about Yankee Doodle? You know, and it's just like getting into this, like, oh, this whole thing about, you know, well, where has colonialism and the slave trade or whatever, where has that not touched culturally in, Amer in the Americas, the entire new world, you know? And that became, it's a vehicle, that meme in particular was a vehicle to basically, a lot of kids didn't realize that like, okay, Spain was a huge colonial force in the new world. Like I would say like, all right, the slave trade, obviously America is involved, uh, Canada initially, you know, the British, the Brit the greater Brits were involved. Who else do you think was involved with the slave trade and with it, the pan-African cultures that migrated by force? And like, uh, Portugal, right? Brazil, they speak that. I'm like, yeah, Portugal, for sure, for sure. And they're like, France? And they're like, yeah, okay, we got Haiti. No, and they were like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, what do they speak in Mexico? <laughs> and they're like, Spanish. Where is Spain? Where does Spanish originate? And they're like, Spain. And I'm like, and where is Spain? Europe. And what are Europeans initially, historically, in the New World? The col the colonists. Oh shit! Like you know, it was like that, and it became this whole thing that it's like, oh, like Hispanic. Afro-Latino sort of culture is this triangle of Spain, New World, and Africa. And that is where we have the entire, that's where we have salsa, that's where we have any Afrological influence, percussion, or harmonically. And we have, <laughs> this is all coming, spouting from the first slide, which is me calling you an idiot. <laughs> you know, so it's like, Obviously, the humor and the abrasiveness and the dankness that memes can have uh, can be a vehicle for starting conversations and, and 
in my classes, I forced you to have a conversation with me because I'm giving you a grade. You know, this is my class. But on the internet, it people started just talking about it more. I think people started liking it more. And I just think it was like, oh, the internet can be, uh, we're all students. This is just another, this is my digital classroom at this point. And now with the Patreon, it's, uh, it's literally that. I have, I feel a responsibility to make it more formalized beyond the meme because I would never just teach just with a meme, you know, that was the, like I said, that's the door opening to make you realize like, oh, like literally like last week when I had uh, Sarah Skolnick, DJ Rio Bamba on the, on the, the Patreon, I made the meme that said like Dembo mode, Dembo powers activated, you know? And someone literally commented like, I was this years old when I learned what Dembo means and I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit it, you know? Where it's just like, oh, you learned a word and then you Googled it or you Spotified it and now you have a musical correlation. You might have already known what it sounded like. You just didn't know the term, you know? Bing, bang, boom. That's a... Uh, that's the meme correlation for some people. And it's it's worked, I guess, you know? Uh, so I'm actually in uh, Guaynabo, which is uh, suburbs outside of San Juan. Uh, I mean, it's all... Very, San Juan's a pretty small city anyway, so it uh, it's all relatively close to each other. But uh, I've been out in the suburbs for just over six months now. Uh, moved moved out here from San Juan mid, mid, I mean, early quarantine, I guess, in June. So We had been coming down here for a while before and after the hurricane. Um, and, you know, I have this nonprofit called Sonic Arts for All, which is like, K through 12 music tech education stuff. And uh, so after the storm, I was just thinking like, what can like, there's, I'm like not handy at all. I wanted to do something, you know what I mean? And I'm just not, could do like farming stuff, but and like, you know, like outdoor shit, but I'm really not like handy, like infrastructure, help build houses shit. And like, you know, talking to my friends who did stay there after the storm, it was really like, there's just nothing. The kids are like, you know, just dying for things to do. Um, and obviously education infrastructure, I mean, like it's notorious, the public education infrastructure in Puerto Rico is notoriously poor and the leaders are notoriously corrupt. Like every, literally the past two, two uh, secretaries of education have, have either been arrested by the FBI or have, uh, you know, open cases with of corruption with the FBI. So it's like we decided we would go down to PR and do some workshops. And eventually, you know, I had some friends here, musician friends that basically ran a second chapter of the of the organization down here and we we were doing, you know, basically up until COVID doing weekly workshops for kids with, you know, some iPads and DJ gear, you know, basically just like uh, teaching electronic music to K through 12 students and some adults too. Um, I moved here in 2019 separate from all that for the uh, the academic position that uh, 
I had made through my music connections here, you know. I wasn't it wasn't gonna have it wasn't in the cards anytime soon in New York. I was an adjunct I was an adjunct while I was a master's student, uh, and a little bit after at a Brooklyn College, CUNY, teaching music tech and uh intro to ethnomusicology basically. It's basically like American music history through the lens of like colonialism. So, you know, all the world influence in American music, um, which is obviously a lot. Uh, but yeah, that was just adjunct. And I finished my MFA in 2018 and was teaching a couple classes and doing private lessons and uh, through the Sonic Arts for All organization in, in connection in Puerto Rico. Basically, friend of a friend related to that uh, connected me with this university I'm at, Atlantic University, which is uh, out here in Guaynabo. Um, and I was hired specifically to uh, form the new bachelor's in sound studies, sonic arts department here, um, which there exists a couple of associate degrees and uh, uh, certificate programs for for audio production you know like kind of vocational or, or trade school programs um but nothing at the bachelor's level there is a pretty well-known music conservatory here but they're you know conservative even for conservatories um and that includes a, a lack of uh sonic arts within their otherwise very traditional composition department but like you know I think it's only a matter of time that we start seeing the, I mean, it's a matter of time in general in music ed that like music tech and sonic arts become uh, more widely uh, just accepted as part of the norm, at least in the composition world, you know, because like half the time kids going into composition departments want to be John Williams or Hans Zimmer. And, you know, it's like you look at Hans Zimmer and it's just like, yeah, the guy has like, you know, hundred thousand dollar recording studio in his house like it's how you save money as a professional is you do everything you know so like it's i think it's just going to become inevitable as professors that are too old to know necessarily about this stuff start retiring and more professors such as myself uh, start getting into more senior positions um you know it'll 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 happen it's just they said the same thing with jazz right they said jazz there's just no way i mean not to say that 100 percent of academic jazz is a good thing but like you know it's accepted that's more important you know? You have to approach music education critically at any any genre or field, and that includes jazz studies where it's like, yeah, at a certain point, if we allow Wynton Marcellus to be like the cultural ambassador to it, then it's gonna become a, uh, it's gonna become a museum art just like opera. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, uh, there was, a, when I transferred from, uh, from Purchase to Brooklyn College, that during my time, I was considering voice uh, jazz uh, studies, local jazz studies, because because I'm a vocalist and an improviser first and foremost, and thinking that if I, okay, new school has some like interesting faculty and more forward thinking, you know, jazz and and free improvised uh, faculty that could jive with that as a vocalist, 
but you know little did i know that just vocal jazz studies is just musical theater studies you know what i mean like that's just uh it's just not not for me whatsoever you know but it's one of those things that like what if you taught experimental improv requirements for all uh you know what if just improvisation studies was viewed beyond like uppercase j jazz you know what i mean like i feel like there are a few programs out there that are pushing it now i mean you have nec in boston which has like contemporary improv separate from their jazz department i went to their prep school in high school i studied with uh did like piano improv with Rand Blake and I did vocal improv with uh, Dominique Eid when I was in high school through their preparatory private les lessons program. Uh, and I, I applied and I got into the CI program, but I, uh, I would have had to be commuting from my parents' house or like staying in like the studio apartment, in my grandma's condo at the time in Jamaica Plain. And I was like, I wanted to be proximity to new york city and then eventually new york you know i, I wasn't uh <clears throat> the idea of staying in boston for me at 18 wasn't sitting well with me but uh it was an it was a victory to get into nec because that school is is cool as hell you know i don't know i feel like it's not just like the <clears throat> high art world conservatory classical museum art we're talking about now but like yeah, we're talking we're talking about rock music as museum art at this point, you know, um, which is you know the classic boomer stereotype like the DJ. Let's get a real musician up there, you know. And I'm reading this book right now, "Love Saves the Day," which is like about like a uh, history of like disco and DJ culture in New York in the '70s. You had then the union of musicians telling club owners, basically union and like connected union, you know what I'm talking about, you connected union bosses, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't even mean that, that's hilarious. Uh, you know, connected union folks in the musicians union, shaking down club owners and being like, you have to switch this up because like our men aren't getting paid because you have people coming for DJs now and not, uh, and you know, pe people coming for uh, people that spin and mix records and not for live music, and that's not real performance, you know? Like, why should they be, why should DJs be allowed in the union at all? Because it had to be with union uh, umbrella, but it's like, we don't want them in here because they're not real musicians. Um, and it's, this, you know, it's that hasn't changed in the pop, rock, whatever you want to call it, mainstream, um, at least up until, like you said, this past maybe, you know, millennial and Gen Z, maybe some Gen X in there too, um, uh, generations that are, you know, they're maybe their first foray into making music is entirely in, in the box digitally. And, you know, I'm not from that. I mean, I took piano lessons as a kid, but like I got a iBook G4 for my bar mitzvah when I was 13. So, that's pretty young, and that's also pretty privileged too. Um, and I recognize that, but I mean, that is, you know, at this point, that this is that's pre-tablet and pre-phone, smartphone culture. So nowadays, Gen Z, there is no escaping um, the technology that is oftentimes used for recreation uh, is 
you know, for certain kids and uh, young people is their first way into a lot of this stuff we're talking about. And they never even played the piano. They never even played the guitar. You know, it's like, uh, I forget what the, the, I read some statistic from England like in uh, 2015 when I was starting the SAFA organization trying to get some stats. It was telling me that like guitar sales were down in the UK and uh, like, turntable controllers and launch pad controllers were up you know and i mean that's indicative of you know the consumer which is oftentimes young people you know in, in music specifically you have more young people getting into it rather than i'm 50 years old i'm going to start you know i'm going to try this out you know what i mean but they should they should you know um but statistically it's always going to be younger people that are you know <clears throat> going to be buying into this stuff so it is indicative that we're heading in a direction that feels deeply if not equally rooted in both the sonic arts daw or hardware electronic uh not only music but like pro audio sound world because it's all the same language you know this microphone being used for this Zoom conversation in Zoom Pro Audio mode, which I see that they've updated now, um, so you can do live music in HD. Um, <clears throat> you can, uh, you know, it's the same technology for that as it is for me doing some weird feedback or vocal performance. Whatever. You know, I mean, it's all it's all the same language. So I feel like we're gonna have <clears throat> maybe by the end of Gen Z next what do we call it gen zero the next generation after that what are the what are the babies named now uh, you know who knows musically aesthetically what will be at that point considered uh you know cutting edge but also like you just see younger people getting more and more adapted to the technology earlier for better or worse but as parents and educators we have to be like no make art with this Get off social media and make art with this. We are, our generation is fully poisoned by social media. Let's prevent that and just turn off the internet and just open up GarageBand, you know? <laughs> The idea that like you have to view the students and the popular culture and the non, uh, you know, break away from the tradition, traditionalist and oftentimes nationalist, uh, you know, uh, uh, safety or, you know, safety net that you're used to studying and listen to the students because there's just going to be, it's just gonna, it has to change. It has to change and you have to be constantly critical of that so even in electronic music you know you got electroacoustic department stuck in acousmatic like you know rhythmless melody melodic melodic lacking you know hardcore ea improv people and it's like well what if i wanted to include a hip-hop element or a or any sort of dance ability or anything like that something that you know maybe an 18 year old student would be more likely to be engaging with outside of the classroom. I think we need to like destroy music ed from the inside and like the culture has to change where it's like, yeah, I'm getting older and the expectation is not that I'm gonna cling to 
what I know, but rather like allow the doors to be constantly open so that I'm still a student, even if I'm like a 70 year old, like, you know, chair emeritus, whatever, you know, it's like, fucking hey, show me this new technology that kids like, you know, I want to try this, you know? I'm seeing, I'm seeing full music departments do, uh, turn their ensembles into like multi-track projects through, through things like Zoom or, uh, video recording apps where like, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> you ever heard of like, not that I'm a big fan of this guy, but like Eric Whitaker, like the, the virtual choir guy, you know, he's like a big choral, he's like a huge choral music composer, rock star, you know, uh, like a pretty boy conductor um but he did this cool thing where he'll he made these virtual choirs well before the pandemic these were like grant projects that he did where he would make a video for a composition that he did where he's just staring at the camera conducting to you to a click track in his in his ear um and then you audition to be one of a thousand singers in your register and you follow the score and you know the the test tone the pitch they give you like in a choir and you are just one of up to 4000 ensemble members that are working in multi-track that the executive branch the probably him and his engineers are just going to take and layer into the biggest pro tools project you've ever heard of You're seeing universities uh, in particular adapting to some sort of, uh, you know, at least the ones that are smart and not the ones that are get in the orchestra bubble. Are you seeing these in, these photos of like social distancing ensembles now? Like I'm literally seeing people in pods, like <laughs> performing like six feet apart from each other in like hazmat suits, what look like, um, and that's stupid. But uh, the ones that I'm seeing that are actually interesting are doing like, the multi-track ensemble experience where you do have like a band leader, whether it be the piano player or the drummer, lay down the first part, the foundation to the click, and then hands it off so everyone can work at it at their own pace in the same file and everyone might be working in the same, you know, software to, to lay it down and working and everyone has the same sort of uh, basic webcam home microphone setup but yeah it's as it's as uh it's as good as you're gonna get uh without having to be in the same room with each other and it becomes more on the educator facilitator band leaders uh responsibility to do to be also the mix engineer right you know like to uh to put it as a final piece for your uh your youtube recital you know what i mean because what else are we doing like i think that is a uh a unique new uh, challenge that Zoom has to some, or you know, web web chat video conference software has uh, forced us to uh, to think about and to uh, at least attempt to try. Because obviously, it'll be better a live jazz ensemble. Nothing's gonna replace that. We all miss sitting in friggin' venues. Come on, man. We all want to go to shows again, but like. 
what are we gonna do? I don't wanna be a I don't wanna be like these plague ravers, you know, I don't wanna be like these people that are just like just over it because you're you know, you just can't sit indoors anymore. Like I get it. I get it. Yeah, like what makes you unique to this situation? <laughs> like I do not understand. At this point in time in our technological history, there's just so much we can do with such a small little thing that when you see things like Fact Magazine, when you see the synthfluencer culture, um, and you see all of this focus on the means, like you said, from this spectacle, like it has to be marketed, right? Like th this is literal media, for-profit media, advertised media. So. If we we're seeing this culture of the consumer driving the market, which is good, we shouldn't have, this shouldn't be a gatekeeping pro audio only world. And obviously with things like Safa, like that's in our mission statement is access, right? But with access, with access, you gotta start thinking about what you have and what, what you have already and what you actually like quote need to fulfill your process your your uh your practice you know and too often we get and you know not for anybody's fault but the world and market that we live in you know we're we're all victims of capitalism here we've been told like anything else we got to buy this to make it to make the thing we want you know and that goes for a big mac and it goes for a delay pedal you know what i mean it's the same it's the same root cause of it is that we're being marketed certain things and to me as artists it's like i'm not telling people to stop buying shit like <laughs> i fucking love moogs i look you know i love toys absolutely but coming at it not only from a financial perspective where there's obviously the same gatekeeping tactics being used by people that had access to DAWs 30 years ago and now with modular Eurorack and hardware world, you know, it's like there is a gatekeeping tactic for the sake of having this spectacle and showing like you need this thing which costs XYZ in order to be where I'm at in my sound and in my career. You know, I have the Fact Magazine interview against the clock video set not you you know what i mean you need this and so and the market reflects that too with people like richard divine because he is sent endless amount of free shit to advertise on his social media platforms and that is where you come to the point where it is now where it's like i made the i made the extreme hoarders gear edition you know like tlc rated tv 14 for disturbing imagery of you know, hoarding and people in a mess in their house. And it's just people with like Dead Mouse and Richard Devine, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah, you do not objectively do not need this. You do not objectively do not need this to make not only in particular the art, the sounds that these guys are making, but anything, 
you know, because we all know at the pro audio synthesis level that Pure Data and Max will literally get you everything you need, right? And Pure Data is free. You know, it, and you can do everything you want open source, but it requires more, more uh, training and work, and it isn't as flashy. It's not sexy, you know. And an iPad is not sexy. Making beats on your phone on the train is not sexy, you know. I think we're coming to this because we have this marketing, this market that's just talking to us constantly on our phone. And even if we want to hear what so-and-so has to say on their Fact Magazine thing, we, we are, it has to be, like you said, through the lens of their means of making it first visually, right? You know, and I've talked, I've talked to people that have written for Fact that don't write for Fact anymore because they aren't video producers. You know what I mean? And it's like, they're heading in that visual direction, just like Red Bull Media, Music Academy was in their digital footprint. Not to say that I don't appreciate them having uncut lectures with people. Such an important archive, but how many people are watching the full MF Doom talk versus their, the YouTube, you know, supercut, uh, you know, which is, you know, has a, has a paid advertisement at the beginning. You know what I mean? Not to say Red Bull is a full paid advertisement. It's existence, you know? Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, but you know. I mean, we uh, we saw, I, I believe uh, it, was, uh, it was the late Mike Huckabee's uh, program in Detroit, right? It wasn't his community center, but he did the, he ran the music lab there and, and it became like OG techno teaching the, the youth in the heart of Detroit type of program. Um, there were a few organizations like that that I was looking to and more seeing just artists that had social practices that I looked up to. You know, there's a few, there's a few of those, you know, uh, a few of those uh, techno folks, a few different people in New York um, working as teaching artists. Um, but more, it wasn't necessarily, it was more seeing, it was more not seeing stuff that influenced me. I think more than anything else was the lack of these programs that existed um, and the only reason some of these other programs existing was because there was either pressed behind a person involved in it like the you know in Detroit or it was like some branded entire uh, you know PR campaign and, and so who am I this 23 year old dude with tattoos coming in being all like we're gonna teach hip hop to these kids as a way of replacing archaic music theory classes. Like, it's just, I guess I understand why they freak. Um, but to me, it's like, all right, if we're not gonna be accepted, if we're not gonna be allowed to push for this under someone else's institution, I'm gonna try to do it myself. And I am not a nonprofit wizard by any means. This was alert. I was learning it as I go. And I'm still not, we're not a full-time organization. I never made a salary doing this. You know, I would make money if I taught. 
but it's not like me doing admin work led to a job. It was literally just, it still is, you know? I think we have goals. Uh, our goals post-COVID is to, you know, <clears throat> basically create, I guess, a studio here in Puerto Rico, like a, because a community space to me would be my, to me, my, like the mark that we can really leave. And it was really just seeing how things were done that pissed me off or how things weren't existing to begin with that was just like all right you have to do it yourself like no one else is doing it the way that you see fit and i guess that's how it is <laughs> it's still like an anarchist idea to me so to me like what i want to do with it and really make the mark with it is to just have it be a space and you know have enough infrastructure as a nonprofit, pay the people that can manage the space and pay the rent and then just have it be like the same model that we've always done. You know, if you can't pay, just come on in. If you can comfortably provide, you know, a little bit for the time that we're giving you, you know, sliding scale. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't like to turn people away for this stuff. You know, I mean, that's kind of what the, what Meme Young, the page has become in the past, Basically, since COVID started, it's gone full circle from what started as like a meme depository for the the, the pictures I made for slideshows when I was an adjunct. And like, <laughs> you know, like that's literally how it started. Man. I was making exclusive content for my enrolled students at CUNY. And, you know, like having things that were like probably questionable for the classroom, like the, one of my classic, the, one of my favorite ones that I want to, I still want to make like a shirt is just the text that says like, you know, all your favorite music comes from Africa, idiot. Like that was the meme. And I put that in a, I put that in a PowerPoint for college students. So, you know, that was the, that was the origin of it. And then during my graduate school, it was just like venting my frustrations as an artist. And then full circle now i'm an educator full time and and with the pandemic came to me like it felt like this community of people just like doing haha at these little like very niche music jokes that i was making that were otherwise like you know i tip of the icebergs on some heady ass topics that i would be reading about or teaching <laughs> and then started doing these ask me anything text questions on the on the stories and then enough people were just like yo where's like you have a youtube you have a patreon what's the deal and uh yeah i i'm in enough credit card debt that i was like fuck it let's uh let's let's make this work and uh at this point now the meme page is just like i want it to be like a place for good energy only because like there's enough bad energy in the non-COVID world musically. But to me, like this whole isolation period and just entirely internet-based communications world that we live in right now, to me, it's like, I'm one of the lucky ones because I'm employed and I have structure to like my, my life and job, but like people are struggling and I wanna, I don't know, I wanna at least remind people that, you know, power in numbers when it comes especially to the arts and like antisocial leanings that we might have when we're depressed and isolated and, and feeling, you know, not like we're living our normal structured lives. Like 
there needs to be <laughs> some sort of just like good vibes outlet out there that could be educational and build some sort of digital community and not necessarily be like i mean be critical of our culture musically but not in a way that is uh the dog eat dog uh, or the meaningless six set bro culture <laughs> that diy uh culture is so rampant for you know what i mean like to me it's like we need a full restructuring of nightlife in general from a funding perspective and a labor perspective because this is showing like you know this is no one no one beyond our community values this shit everything is being going you know bottom up uh just because there's no infrastructure for saving our stages save our stages you know um uh, but then at the but then at the individual level it's like when we had all this shit going on were we necessarily like did we necessarily enjoy hearing each other you know like i remember being a younger artist playing gigs and it's just like ugh, like two opening acts then me like like fuck if i care who who these people are you know what i mean and it's like i'll just like hang out and drink and smoke outside the whole time and then my set will come up you know like that's just so common in our worlds that especially in places like new york where it's like so much going on and everyone wants to fucking i don't know well, i don't know what it could be considered like what pitchfork best new music what is the thing that everyone wants <laughs> like beyond like a show you know and i just feel like it's kind of indicative of the our our weaknesses as as people you know like i think we're we're weak isolated we need to be engaged with each other more and whether that be through going to music school making music with k through 12 kids or making fucking memes about like why there's fascist fascistic roots at at the root of noise music i don't know you know it's like all this stuff like we just need to talk to each other <laughs> I think there's enough weirdos out there. I think I think I went through the same, you know, aha moment because initially, initially I put on my bio. I don't know how long you've been following, but there was like two years where I just wrote like unfollow me as my bio, and I didn't really want anything to come of it. Like it was just my depository of memes, you know, and I was not expecting, you know, the, when you like you said, forty people like this shit, like that's fucking insane and at a certain point i realized like okay like there are enough weirdos it's not even weirdos because people you can see it on the patreon community or the discord little community i got now like how many pop singing songwriters there are 
in that in that world that are also like learning about like the meter of nowness and the fascistic like cultural origins of noise all this bullshit that i just only i thought i was interested in you know or you know academic people so me teaching has always been humorous to me and that's the only way to get ideas across especially when they're otherwise kind of like dark or very heady and you know require you know i had enough reading of like textbooks or art books that were just written in english but not really you know like it, like art art speak art speak is so could be so perplexing and silly and humorless and our world is so humorless musically and the experimental side of things and electronic sonic arts so i was just like you know <laughs> fuck it like just the just start making draw up get a picture of curtis rose and put like a yankee and like and Timbaland boots on him, you know, like that was like, that was the initial start of it. Like, it's just like Morton Feldman, deep fried faces and, and eventually getting into some topics that, like you said, are very niche, but apparently not as niche as we thought. It's just how it ended up. It's just a natural progression though. After I had that aha moment, I wrote a paper for David Grubbs' sound art class in graduate school on on noise as it's called noise as effective means of crowd control. And it touches on starting with literal fascism and ending up with like an experience I had in in at a Chinatown loft in Boston when I was in high school when this noise band called Two Dead Sluts, One Good Fuck. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're the most, the most edgiest early aughts power electronics, power violence you could imagine. They locked the doors on us and like lit a fire and threw like pedals and mic stands just at us. Like we were just locked in a room with people that were, were going to commit violence for about five minutes. Um, that was the set. And, you know, that had an impact on me initially of just like yeah like like everyone else is just like in it to win it when you're fucking 17 i guess but then looking back it's like oh god damn man like <laughs> there's a there's a trajectory a historic trajectory of this that dates back to uh to marinetti to i mean russolo russolo was like hey, come, can we chill guys <laughs> you know like he was he chilled out at a certain point It's the Cajun effect because I mean, he, Cage, Cage was pretty conscious of what, like, you know, I mean, like this is from like the, the the George Lewis paper on this, you know, but I mean, like the Afrological improv versus urological improv or Afrological avant-garde versus urological, you know, those are George Lewis's terms, but I mean, yeah, like there is a conscious social uh, wall separation in these worlds that we're seeing less so now but that even questioning the Cajun and post-Cajun sort of uh you know umbrella requires 
of you know if you question it you have to reckon with the fact that it's like it was like jazz is left out of the history entire history of jazz which obviously relates directly to any improvisational form in the western world to disqualify it not include it or in cage's case to <laughs> redefine it under a new term you know or to say chance is this not that right you know aliens this is aleatoric music this is not improv you know and it's like well all right and even talking about the sound world itself like highly composed milton babbitt you know like highly composed maximal uptown up to the spectralism and new complexity stuff you know if you put it on a if you listen to that with a blindfold on and then you listen to like anthony braxton's improv orchestra pieces you're just like literally we're in the same sound worlds now right it's all that we're dealing with the same language it's just two different notations but also two different social like entire different upbringings musically you know and i don't i don't know i think i think like with certain acceptance of experimentalism at the like new music and academic conservatory level you know cage is obviously talked about now but like improvisation not necessarily as like a uh, as one of the many equally important uh parts of your performance rolodex as say serialism you know like you know matrix scores or even chance like you know game comp game compositions you know John Zorn stuff, that sort of thing. I don't know, like, how often do we have just performance majors just, like, being told a emotional prompt and being being told to respond improvisationally? Like, I don't know. I, I think Pauline it'll un, tried her best to undo some of the some of the cagey the post cagean uh, strictness of things when it came to like the utilization of improv and like trying to uh make it as open and freeing and non non-professional or you know like i guess non-academic as possible you know like her text scores for amateur or hobbyists just as much as there are for professional ensembles and things like that you know she she did as much as she can but we need more of that push from powerful musical minds in order in my i mean in you know more diverse uh more diverse historical uh you know stories you know because like music history music history classes at the undergraduate level is you know early music to 19th century you know post you know like you know post harmonic you know like and then Schoenberg is still talked about as new music. Cage is still talked about as new music. And it's like, it's 2021. <laughs> like, we're talking about, we're talking about almost 80 years post-war at this point. No one is alive. <laughs> not contemporary, literally not contemporary. <laughs>
so many Red Bull videos out there and like documentaries like David Guetta documentary and all this shit. You know, I think we just need more unfiltered views of like the studio and of the process, you know, for art, all artists, you know, I think the industry, if we can call it one industry could, you know, could benefit from, you know, becoming more education focused, you know, like how do we build, how do we build the next generation and not put them down or, or discourage people? You know, I think discouragement is the, is the, the most prevalent part of the arts world is just like you hit at one point and you're like, Ugh, fuck, like I'm not cut out for this, you know? And there's, there needs to be media. There needs to be people, teachers, Instagram accounts, YouTubers, whatever that are at least pushing, pushing you, continue to push you in some direction, especially while we're home alone, right? That's the most important thing right now. Don't lose hope. People are losing hope. And I hate that. <laughs> exactly. No, I think I think it's important to look under the hood and to question the and to question the entire uh, or or, crit, or be able to criticize your fav your favorite artists uh, without it being like, well, I don't dislike it, man. Like I can critic I can critique something without. Without, without saying like I dislike it I can like something and find flaws like you know like I think we have a uh, defense mechanisms where maybe we don't want to show what's under the hood because it can expose the little flaws that we know about that maybe knowledgeable other knowledgeable practitioners will also know about like if I show you my waveforms are you going to see that this is clipping like are you gonna care like I cared, but I eventually ignored it because I knew that you wouldn't see it. But that means requiring you, shielding you from that, not looking under the hood, right? So I don't know. I mean, I, I think we need more people just willing to open up the hood. sometimes it's not even the music you make it's the shit that you have i mean look at the synthfluencer culture i don't know what richard divine or heinbach's music sounds like at the top of my head despite knowing exactly what tools they're known for you know and you've entirely lost the message if it's entirely about the means and not even about the sound it's gotta mean something it has to have meaning you're absolutely right all the formalities these days in all social life and nightlife, we've lost that community edge. You know, it's like, I think everybody's still, everybody still wants something at the end of the day that they can then like use to get a leg up on everyone else. And it's, I don't know, in a city like New York, you gotta pay rent. Eventually we're all gonna fall into this rat race. Um, so I don't, I don't have an answer, you know, as far as like how we could fix things on the real community IRL show scene. How do we go from scene to community? Uh, and, you know, the answer I've seen in history has been when shit is cheap and we don't have to worry about rent so we can actually hang out 
and not worry about making, you know, the bar a thing at this, at our loft or whatever. I don't know. I think that there needs to be something, there needs to be real community. IRL and URL. And right now we don't have one of those options. Uh, so let's, let's do our best to be as digitally communicative as possible um, without, uh, without eating each other and destroying the fucking thing like social media eventually becomes all social. The following that we're talking about, both people that will pay and people that will just follow, subscribe on the internet, whatever, it's based in culture of spectacle at this level that we're talking about in gear, you know? And when we're talking about ambient or sound design, soundscape music, it has to be put towards something that is sold somehow. In this case, whether it be a video with creepy group lights, or whether it be a meditation app that you pay $10 a month for, or whether it's just buying into this algorithm of AI-generated yoga music or easy listening restaurant playlists music. We have to buy into the culture somehow so someone at the top makes that, makes that cha-ching. Uh, and that's how we veer away from community but I don't know. Do we have to make a commune? Like, what do we do? Like, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't have the answer uh, beyond just be nice and don't be a dick and be in, say something meaningful if you're going to say something about someone else's work. You know, uh, you know, even if it's not something you like. You know, the meme I made last night was like, don't, it's not my cup of tea, man, but I'm willing to talk to you about this because there are certain things you do well. And it's like, I appreciate that because I'm not a rapper, but I like to hear what rappers think of my noise track, you know, whatever, you know, like there's, there's virtue, there's value, there's merit and all of that, but it requires not viewing someone as a customer or as a threat on the scene. You know?
as a teacher, as a teacher, you gotta get, you just get used to to talking, even if no one's listening. You know, that's comes with a job. <laughs> I know we we just been we just been going off. I hope I hope you can form this structure. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs>